please turn in your copy of God's message to his people to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. If you would like to follow along using one of our pew Bibles, you can find this passage on page 688. Our pew Bibles are the English Standard Version, and that's the translation from which I'll be reading throughout this sermon. I read, beginning in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let us pray. Father, I pray that today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would bless us with a better understanding of what you have said. I pray that we would exult in your steadfast love, mercy, and faithfulness. I pray that you would be our portion and that we will hope in you. It's in the marvelous name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. The main point of the passage that we're going to study today is this. Put your hope in the Lord. It's a message that Jeremiah and the people of his day needed to hear. It's a message that we need to hear today. This passage contains very encouraging words from the pages of Scripture. If you were unfamiliar with this passage, it would be easy to think that these words had been spoken in a time of great blessing, a time of great prosperity when things were going really well. Perhaps Jeremiah's uh, investments were having some pretty handsome yields. And maybe even the leader that he preferred was in power and possibly would be for many years. But if you read the entire book of Lamentations, you can see that nothing could be further from the truth. During most of the content of this book, the writer of Lamentations, Jeremiah, is doing exactly what the book is titled. He is lamenting. He is lamenting what is likely the greatest tragedy he has ever faced in his life, the destruction of the holy city of Jerusalem, which is also referred to as Zion in the scriptures. The small amount of freedom and autonomy that the southern kingdom of Israel had left was now gone, and the vast majority of her people have been removed from the land that God promised to them and taken into captivity by the nation of Babylon. The southern kingdom of Israel was also called Judah, and in their sinful pride, many of them never thought this day would come. But now it has. The book of Lamentations opens with these words. You can follow along with me. Chapter 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The reason for this calamity is given in verse 8. 
<clears throat> Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. Look also at verse 18 of the same chapter. This is Jeremiah speaking collectively for the whole nation of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my sufferings. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. There were many sins for which the people of Judah were guilty. Most of them centered around the sin of idolatry. Rejecting the one true God and worshiping false gods of the nations that surrounded them. Israel was warned by Moses and Joshua when they came into the promised land that if they engaged in the worship of the false gods of the surrounding nations, that the Lord would remove Israel from the land. And now they are seeing firsthand the negative aspect of the faithfulness of the Lord. The worship of these false gods involved immoral practices. Among the worst of these was the practice of a person sacrificing their own child to a false god named Molech. Why would they do such a thing? The false teachings surrounding this practice claimed that anyone making such an offering to Molech would be blessed greatly by him with material wealth, prosperity, security. Today, we don't see a lot of people worshiping Molech but we do see a lot of people worshiping themselves. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're told that in the last days, peoples will be lovers of themselves. The names of the idols of Jeremiah's day may have changed, but the appalling practices have not. It is only by the grace of God and the faithfulness of his will that we are allowed to remain in this land today. Look at how he dealt with his chosen nation for these sins in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 of Lamentations. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe, and he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes. In the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. Jeremiah continues with his lament in verse 11 of chapter 2. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. And in verse 13, what can I say for you? To what compare to you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? For all of chapters 1 and 2 and the first part of chapter 3 of Lamentations, this is what Jeremiah dwells on. Frankly, it's difficult to read. To imagine the horrific events that this nation and this writer have had to live through. <clears throat> How does he get from this mindset to the words that I read at the opening of this sermon? Let's read starting in verse 16 of chapter 3. At this point, Jeremiah has shifted his focus from the sufferings of the nation as a whole to his own personal suffering during and after this tragedy. 
I read starting in verse 16. He, speaking of God, has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. And here is the phrase in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. A.W. Tozer has rightly said, the most important thing about a person is what comes into their mind when they think about God. The next time you are tempted to give in to despair, don't remind yourself about how likely it is for your circumstances to change. Don't remind yourself about your own ability. Remind yourself of what you know to be true about God from his word. In order to do that, you will need to read his word. And I would advise you, don't stop there. Immerse yourself in it. Study it. Pray through it. Listen to qualified men. Preach on it. Make sure that it is in the music that you listen to. I was listening to Todd Friel speak the other day, and he raised a very good point. He was speaking about the ocean of media that is available to us, specifically in terms of world events. While speaking on this, he raised the point that <clears throat> one of the reasons that we as a people are so stressed out by all the information that is available to us is because we are not made to be omniscient. <clears throat> we are finite. We are limited. Of course we will be overwhelmed if we fall into the trap of trying to know everything and figuring out how it should all work out. Now should we be informed? Of course we should be informed. But don't spend the majority of your time dwelling on these things. Hear the highlights of the day and then turn it off and then look to the one who is omniscient, who can handle all these things, who is maker and sustainer of all of them. And don't go to a quiet room and wait for him to give you some secret message. Look to him in his word. <clears throat> That's what we see Jeremiah doing in this passage. In the worst of circumstances, in the absolute pit of despair, he stops. He remembers. He calls to mind what he knows to be true about God, and therefore, he has hope. This is what he remembers. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. <clears throat> Verses 22 and 23 can be grouped together in the sense that they are both speaking of what Jeremiah knows to be true about God. And verse 24 speaks about Jeremiah's response to that truth. You will see this pattern repeated throughout all of Scripture. An individual recalls something that he knows to be true about God and then responds to that truth. To better understand the truth that Jeremiah is responding to, we have to understand the terms he is using. First of all, Jeremiah intentionally uses the title that he does for God in this passage, Lord 
All four letters of the Lord are capitalized, which represents God's covenant name, Yahweh. This is the name that he uses for himself when he makes a covenant. And this is very appropriate for this passage as Jeremiah speaks of his steadfast love. That is, his covenant love, his loyal love that he chooses to show to those with whom he has made covenant. I'm going to jump ahead just a bit in our text and talk about the term faithfulness at the end of verse 23. In other translations, this term is often rendered as truth or truthfulness. Some other helpful synonyms are honesty, steadfastness, trustworthiness, and firmness. The point is Yahweh can be depended on. You can take what he says to the bank. Now, I went ahead and addressed faithfulness in order to point out that the terms faithfulness and steadfast love are two words that you will see used together frequently throughout the Old Testament. You will see this most often in the Psalms. Repetition is used as a tool for emphasis throughout the Bible. A few examples are these. Psalm 89.1, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 117, praise the Lord all nations, extol him all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. When you compare these two words, steadfast love and faithfulness, you will find a lot of overlap in their ranges of meaning, but you will also find some significant differences. There are some situations in Scripture where these two words are used in contrast to one another, but often they are used in a complementary fashion. And that is the case in our passage that we're studying. I think this is a helpful way to understand the author's meaning. Yahweh will be faithful to show steadfast love. To help further define that term steadfast love, I give you two words that may be a little more familiar. One of them we see used here intentionally. That word is mercy. The second word is grace. Mercy is when we do not receive a penalty or a punishment that we deserve, like eternity in hell for our sin. Grace is when we receive something good that we don't deserve, like eternity in heaven, even though we have sinned. Yahweh will be faithful. That is, he will never fail in showing steadfast love to those he chooses. Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is on page 8 of the Pew Bible. read in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yahweh repeated the essence of this covenant to Abram's son Isaac and to Isaac's son Jacob, whose name he would later change to Israel. This is known as the Abrahamic covenant, since it was to Abraham that this covenant was first made. Contained within this covenant were three major components. Blessing of a land that would belong to his heritage, 
great blessing to multiply his descendants. And finally, that in him all the families or nations of the earth will be blessed. Now as we consider this list, it would be understandable to think maybe it doesn't really look like Yahweh is being very faithful to this covenant that he made with Abraham and his descendants. As we consider what is happening during that time, during the time Jeremiah is writing Lamentations, we see that the land is being taken away from the remaining southern kingdom. We see that many of Israel's descendants have been slaughtered, and most who remain have been taken captive by another nation. And it appears that the only blessing that Israel will provide to the nations will come in the form of slave labor. Also, in the midst of this chaos, the temple has been destroyed. The place where Yahweh had previously manifested his presence. The place where he had commanded his people to worship him. He destroyed this temple because his people had so polluted and corrupted the worship of God at his temple that he took away the opportunity for them to continue to do so. It is a holy and precious privilege to worship Almighty God. And I praise the Lord that we are part of a church with elders and members who strive to do so. <clears throat> so even though we can see that much has been lost during this invasion of Jerusalem and the surrounding land, I think if we take a closer look, we will see that Jeremiah is justified in praising the faithfulness of Yahweh even in the midst of this storm. We saw how God promised to multiply the descendants of Abraham. And though, even though many have lost their lives in the siege that lasted for almost two years prior to the invasion of Jerusalem, many have been preserved alive and will be allowed to continue their heritage. We can also look to the fact that God's prophet Jeremiah is still alive to write this book. Also, in a previous invasion of Jerusalem, the prophet Ezekiel was taken captive to Babylon where he will write his book of prophecy. The young man Daniel as well was taken captive and his life will be preserved and ultimately he will be elevated to a seat of power in a Gentile nation like Mordecai and like Joseph before them. Great is the faithfulness of Yahweh. In addition to the promise to multiply Abraham's descendants, God's pro God promised to give his descendants the land that they are currently be. excuse me, in addition to the promise to multiply Abraham's descendants, God's promise to give his descendants this land that they are currently being remo removed from will be retained. Jeremiah would have certainly remembered the revelation that God had given him that the Israelites who were taken captive and their descendants will return to this land in 70 years. You can find that prophecy in Jeremiah 29.10. I'm certain that Jeremiah would have well remembered Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 5, chapter 45, verses 1 through 13, that Yahweh would raise up a king named Cyrus who will subdue nations and will rebuild the city of Jerusalem and set the exiles free. Even though when Isaiah received that prophecy, he would have had no idea who Cyrus was because he had not been born yet. Nor would he have had any idea that the nation that he would rule, Persia, would rise to be the dominant power in the known world at that time. 
Likewise, at the time Jeremiah wrote this book, he would not have known that this Cyrus would lead the nation of Persia that would rise up in 70 years and conquer Babylon and allow the Jews to return to their land and even provide funds to help them rebuild their city and their temple. But that's exactly what happened, exactly the way God said it would. Amazing, yes. Did the descendants of Israel deserve this? No. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. In the book of Jeremiah, that of course Jeremiah also wrote, Yahweh revealed another covenant to him, primarily directed to Israel, but like the Abrahamic covenant, it would affect Gentiles as well. Please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. This is page 660 in the Pew Bible. I read starting in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The covenant that the children of Israel broke was the Mosaic Covenant, generally known as the Ten Commandments. I want to focus on the verse at the end of this passage, particularly the last sentence in which Yahweh tells Jeremiah that he will forgive the iniquity of Israel's descendants and remember their sin no more. The reason this calamity came upon the southern kingdom of Israel was their sin. The late R.C. Sproul coined a great quote about sin. He said, Sin is cosmic treason. The system of government on which this universe runs is not a democracy. It is not a constitutional republic. The system of government on which this universe runs is a monarchy. And there is one high king. And every time sin is committed, it is high treason against that king. And for those Israelites who died in their sins, just like all Gentiles who have died in their sins, a much greater calamity has come. An eternal captivity in hell where the flame is never quenched and the torment never ends. But even though this is what is deserved by every single descendant of Israel who has sinned and every other descendant of Adam also known as a Gentile who has sinned, his mercies are new every morning. Something that Yahweh did not reveal to Jeremiah in this particular passage in Jeremiah 31, but something that we know now based on the revelation that God has given us in Hebrews chapter 9 is that with this new covenant would come a mediator. A mediator 
is like an arbitrator or a third party. When it comes to the new covenant, the first party is Yahweh. The second party is man. The third party is both God and man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. And if you're looking for a good way to cherish this season, and I love that you brought this up, Rodney, that's a good place to start. Dwell on the fact that there is a person in the universe that is both God and man at the same time. And he always will be. You see these beautiful little children? There was a point in history in which the God who created the universe was contained in a little body just like theirs. That is astonishing. Now, was he helpless during that time? Was he just kind of floating around in the world of supposed random chance? No. He was upholding the entire universe by the word of his power. How did he do that? I don't know. But what I can tell you is what this book says. And in Colossians 1.17, it says that in him, that is Christ, all things hold together. And I'm led to greater worship of him, not because I can understand everything about him, but because I can't. But I can read this book and I can recognize it for what it is, pure truth. Because Jesus Christ, who is Yahweh, put on flesh and became a man, he was able to live the perfect life that no mere human being could. And because he did that and fulfilled all the requirements of the Mosaic Covenant, because he kept God's law perfectly, he was able to provide a perfect sacrifice that could be killed, and the death of that sacrifice would be sufficient to satisfy God's righteous wrath against the sins of every single person that God was speaking of in the new covenant to Jeremiah, in which he said, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Please read with me in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. This is on page 1006. Therefore he, that is Jesus Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant, which is the Mosaic covenant. And it is also by this sacrifice that Jesus Christ will fulfill the portion of the Abrahamic covenant which promises that in Abraham's offspring all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Please turn to Galatians chapter 3 verses 7 through 9 on page 973. I read in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The object of the faith of these Gentiles who will be blessed is the God-man, Jesus Christ. It is because of who he is and what he has done on the cross that all nations shall be blessed. Not in the sense that every single person from every single nation will be blessed in that way with the gift of faith. But the point is that people from Gentile nations will get to share in the covenant blessings originally promised to Abraham through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, Jeremiah did not know all of these things fully about how Yahweh would fulfill these covenants he had made to the nation of Israel. But as we pointed out before in the new covenant, he would have known that Yahweh was going to forgive the iniquity of his people and remember their sin no more. And it was because of this truth and the many and many many others that God had revealed to him. <clears throat> at this point in history, that Jeremiah would have made the final statements of the passage that we are studying today. Because of his steadfast love, which would have included his mercy and grace, and because of the faithfulness of Yahweh to show steadfast love to his covenant people, Jeremiah makes this declaration in verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. <clears throat> The sense of the word hope in this con or excuse me, the sense of the word portion in this context is a person's lot in life, including everything that happens to a person. Tom Constable comments on this verse in this way Jeremiah reminded himself that Yahweh was his portion. Consequently, he had hope. By calling the Lord his portion, the prophet was comparing Yahweh to an allotment of land that provides the necessities of life. When the children of Israel conquered the land of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua, just as God had promised that they would, each family of the nation of Israel was assigned an allotment of land. They were given a portion on which to live. Now imagine seeing through the eyes of Jeremiah how over time he has witnessed every single one of those portions being, take, being taken away, including his own. The northern kingdom was taken away long before he was born. Now over the course of his life, he has seen all the surrounding lands of Judah taken away and finally the capital city of Jerusalem. And yet, as he looks out across such destru destruction, because of the steadfast love and the faithfulness of Yahweh, he says, Yahweh is my portion. He is that which gives me life. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, the word hope is one that is definitely used differently now than it was when Jeremiah wrote this text. <clears throat> Today, for the most part, the word hope is used when we're not really certain about something. We just kind of hope something will happen. <clears throat> but the sense of the Hebrew word that Jeremiah uses here in the original text is to stay in one place and anticipate or expect something. 
Most of the time you see the phrase wait for in the Old Testament. It essentially means the same thing as hope in. The point is, it's not just wishful thinking. In this context, the phrase hope in meant that Jeremiah had great confidence in Yahweh to bring about the promises he had made to his covenant people. Think about when we are waiting for a plane to arrive and come. We're not just hoping it will happen. We have good evidence that it will happen. And if it doesn't happen, we're going to, be accept, we're going to expect to be compensated in some way. But let me tell you, for Jeremiah and for all of God's people both now, there is something much more certain than a plane coming. Jeremiah had witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem and he knew based on the prophecies of Yahweh that this city would be rebuilt and inhabited again. And so with the benefit of history, we see that it has been multiple times. But all that points to something much greater. One day New Jerusalem is going to come down out of the sky. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 21. One day heaven is going to come down to earth. For the people of God who will be there, we won't know where heaven stops and earth begins, and we won't know where earth stops and heaven begins. The dwelling place of God will be with man. And it is in this way that all families of the earth will be blessed, including the family of Israel. And it is in this way that his law will be written on their hearts, and they will be his people, and he will be their God. And no longer will each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know him, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And in this city, there will be a temple. But it won't be a building. <clears throat> it will be the body of a person. Revelation chapter 21 verse 22 tells us, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. That is Jesus Christ. When he was on the earth, standing inside of a temple that was made with human hands, he told those who wanted him dead that, when you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when he raised it, he raised it in glory, imperishable. When Jeremiah wrote the words of the text where we started, he wasn't just thinking positively. He wasn't just putting on a happy face and trying to look for the silver lining. Because of what he knew to be true about God from his word, he could look at the scene of destruction and say, I have Yahweh. Therefore, I will wait for him. He knew that despite his circumstances, if he had Yahweh, he had everything. Today, no matter what your circumstances, if you have Christ, who is Yahweh in the flesh, you have everything. The forgiveness of your sins and payment provided for the penalty that your sins so rightly deserve. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, helping you, counseling you to be conformed to the character of Christ. And one day, we will live with him forever. Can you imagine what a day in the physical presence of Jesus Christ will be like? 
Think of the kindest person you've ever known. They were probably kinder than me, but they're only a glimpse of what Jesus Christ is like. If you know today that you do not have Christ, we have already read that he is full of mercy. You can come to him even now and he will not cast you out. Confess your sins to him and trust in Christ's work on the cross to save you from the wrath to come. As long as there is breath in your lungs and Christ has not yet returned to judge the earth, you have the opportunity to come to him. But night is coming when no one can work. And today is the day of salvation. For most people, 2020 has been a pretty difficult year. I wish I could tell you that 2021 will be better, but I don't know that. It could get worse. But for those who are in Christ, when we've been in heaven 10,000 years, I don't think we're going to be talking about how rough a year 2020 was. And I don't say that to diminish any difficulties that you may have suffered or are suffering right now. I say that to spur you on and look at these difficulties as the cross to be endured before the resurrection. Instead of my words, I would rather leave you with the words of Christ spoken through the Apostle Peter. Please turn with me finally to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is page 1014. I read, beginning in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, like Jeremiah, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. 
it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let us pray. Father, I pray today that we would put our hope in you that we would wait for you, that we would put our hope in the precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, and in his matchless power and faithfulness to redeem all things on this planet one day. Please help us to be in this world and live holy lives that glorify you and preach your glorious gospel in word and deed. Please help us not to become entangled by the circumstances of this world that would threaten to steal any of our joy. I pray that our joy would be in Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. We're going to give you some time now to respond to the Lord in your heart in however he may be dealing with you. If you would like to talk further about the things of Christ, I'll be in the back. And the elders also are here to speak to you if that would be helpful. Respond to Christ now. flesh and drink his blood. It's in the marvelous name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.